Welcome, fellow nerds and ne'er-do-wells, to the Adventurers Anonymous podcast, the home of improvised fantasy fucknuggetry. It's Matt here, the voice of Belsiar Milfestieliak, with a special interview episode where we talk to Walt from Nova Minis. Walt runs Nova Minis from South Africa with his wife, and their passion is bringing tabletop gaming to life with artful, characterful miniatures and terrain. He tells us about how art school, a love of sculpture, and dabblings in D&D led to a lifelong fascination with bringing tabletop miniatures to life, and details the process for us from concept to printed figure. If you want to check out Walt's work, you can find Nova Minis on all the usual places, including Facebook, Patreon, and Twitter. If you have access to a 3D printer, you can get his STL files online via Tribes, My Mini Factory, and other STL stores. And if you're listening to this episode when it comes out, you're just in time for their latest campaign release, Undead Unrest, as well as some special announcements for their second birthday. So call on the barkeep for a fresh flagon of ale, hunker down next to the tavern fire, and listen on to hear about night hags with a mortgage to pay, melting down lead for bullets to make figurines, and how the support of the community makes it all worthwhile. So, a massive adventure is anonymous. Welcome to Walt, who I'm sure you have all seen out there, listeners. If you are on the Twitters or any other kind of social media in the TTRPG community, I'm sure you've seen Walt's handiwork in the guise of Nova Minis. Hi, thank you. And it's lovely to have you on the podcast. We're going to do another kind of deep dive interview and try and uh, get to know you a little bit better, Walt, and also your amazing miniatures and find out a little bit of your story and what that side of the uh, miniature market looks like. I'm also joined by Matt Durant, who the oh. listeners will know as the voice of Belsiar, the crocoborn, half crocodile, half man, <laughs> uh, the failed sorcerer turned uh, children's party entertainer that his character is. Yes, indeed. How are you both doing? Good, thank you. I, I, I'm just, I, I love what D&D's become. I really do. <laughs> oh, I think for everyone, it's a massive release, isn't it? Throughout all these, the last couple of years have been pretty grim. I think everyone would agree. Yeah. And uh, being able to lose yourself in an imaginary world has just been such a kind of pleasure, I think, for people. Yeah, I, I think we've needed that escapism. And, and, but I, I think the the sort of new popularity of D&D and the just sort of like unbridled nature of, of the new rules system, just people just really express themselves in ways that, that are so new and so exciting. It's lovely to see, yeah. isn't it? It really is. And I'm sure we're going to dig into some of that, I think, throughout the course of this interview. We should probably start at the top of this interview by saying this is a bit of a first for us, Walt. I don't think we've done an international interview oh. before. So uh, it's worth telling our listeners that you are in South yes. Africa, yes, in, which makes this a first for us. Well, at least we're in the similar time yeah. zone. So it's, it's, it's only quasi-international. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, I had no clue. I, had to, it, I was pleasantly surprised when I realized how close England and South Africa's time zones are geographically. Geography has never been my strong point. It's about an hour, I think. Yeah, it's about an hour, which is amazing, listeners. So the good news is neither Walt nor myself nor Matt had to get up at like four in the morning to do this interview. We're so all uh, we're all easing into it late in the afternoon. The Australian interviews, that's going to be the, the difficult. <laughs> if we ever have an Australian <laughs> interview, yes. So, yes. Walt, tell us a bit. Just for the listeners, you have found a wonderful niche in the fantasy market in models and miniatures. Yes. But your particular niche in that is allowing people to 3D print their own models from the comfort of their own home rather than posting them and mailing them out to people like other big brand miniature companies, I'm sure we can all name, do. You, you, you've opted to give people the choice of 3D printing. So tell us a little bit about, you know, um, give us the elevator pitch for Nova Minis. Oh, the elevator pitch. 
Uh, I haven't been in an elevator in years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> basically, what it is is um, we we design monsters and uh, some NPC miniatures ah. for fantasy tabletop mm. gaming. Create twenty eight millimeter scale, which uh, if you are a, a home printer, you can pretty much scale them where you need them to be. But we design specifically for that uh, size. And uh, if you get STLs from us, either through a subscription platform like uh, Patreon or Tribe, or uh, if you purchase individual uh, STLs from one of our stores, um, things like My Mini Factory, or uh, even a a campaign uh, similar to a Kickstarter, you then have the right to print as many copies of said miniature as you like. Uh, You can print an army if you like. just just for myself and for the listeners, possibly, what's an STL that you just mentioned? I don't know what STL stands for, it's, it's, <laughs> but it's like sort of the, the JPEG of the 3D world. It's, uh, it's, ah, it's a 3D okay. printable file. It's a file yeah, format. Yeah, okay, file. okay. What got you into that? What, when you could do anything, why, why did, you said, did you, see a, did you see a gap in the market? Or? It's kind of a long story. Um, how much time do we have? We have time. I... <laughs> I uh, I've always wanted to uh, get into to the miniature side of, of uh, D&D. Um, and in South Africa, when, when I started playing, which was around the time that Noah was looking for a parking spot, um, <laughs> we battled to get minis. And so I, I was okay. attending uh, the National School of the Arts at the time, or at a time. I started a bit before high school. but And, and I kind of went, well, I'm learning sculpture uh, clay sculpture specifically was was, what I was one of my specialities oh, wow. i'm sure i can make these things i mean how hard can it be to sculpt something that stands about an inch high i mean with full detail and, you know it can't be that hard um it was and so <laughs> i sort of gave it up for a while and um yeah many years later i i, I kept role playing through the years and, and uh, doing what a lot of people do for tabletop representation which was um using uh dry wipe erasers or markers and, uh, you know, whiteboards and um, bottle caps or, you know, whatever to represent the, the, the various players on the table. Of course. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. We've all done that. And then um, <laughs> I, I kind of got back into sculpting again um, around 2013. I, I decided, yeah, I think a lot of artists go through the, the Things they they just kind of oh well I'm well, I don't have time for that I've, I've got other things that I need to do and so I, I sort of decided to get back into it and um, one thing went, led to another I started looking into uh, uh, digital sculpting uh, more as a, mm. an interest I enjoy learning new skills um, yeah and then I yeah I started going well surely that there's a way to do minis from this and in that research yeah. I discovered. It was it was sort of early days then for for this market. Uh, there's there, there's a, a guy that people who are involved in this will uh, they'll recognize his name is uh, Miguel Zavella. That's kind of when he was starting out, which was long ago in terms of this this industry. And um, yeah, I, I think it just kind of developed from there. And uh, just watching what was happening, and, and you know, it's a fairly healthy industry. Um, there's there's a lot of people. Uh, in it, we've got the entire mm. website dedicated to it. Uh, you know, like uh, my mini factory, for example, who are mm, so, yeah. you know quite strong in the market, and uh, yeah, just seeing what, what people were doing, and then going, well, how how can we make this ours? What can we do that you know, that that's mm. maybe a little different, and, and filling any gaps that might exist? That's amazing. So, so one what, one of the things I was going to ask you, actually, you've already answered, was you know, I, I come from a creative background myself, and I was encouraged to be artistic as a child. And I was given brushes and you know, paints and pens and pencils. And but one thing we never did was I never really got the opportunity to try my hand at three D, two D, and rendering and shading and coloring and and you know artistic representation. But so so you you went straight at, at art school yes. for for sculpture. So you 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 were based in three D. <laughs> Um, sort of. It, it was, the, it was one the of the choices that we had. And um, uh, I was very fortunate in that my, I'm, I'm the youngest of, of four kids and 
my two sisters both attended the same school uh, years before I did. And um, they sort of took me under the wing uh, when it came to, to creativity and technique and that kind of thing. And there was always play in that around because they were doing various projects. So I got to play with a lot of mm. different things. So when, when I got to, got to art school for high school, um, I, I kind of gravitated towards sculpture. And we, obviously we did painting yeah. and then all the other, all the other things that we needed to do. But when it came to choosing yeah. specialities, um, sculpture was one of my two choices. Ah. So, so, so I have a question for you at this mm. point. Now, I've, I've perused your back catalogue of models and I've looked at them with great envy over the last, I don't know how long we've been doing this podcast now, quite a while, Matt. And I love the humanity and the emotion that you bring mm. to your models. Now, I'm sure you, uh, one, one, one of the models I particularly love is the Night Hag. Uh, I think it's Night Hag number one. And she has this kind of hideous finger hand kind of like pointed out in this amazingly emotional and almost like horror kind of way that's very bewitching. Now, when you're learning to sculpt, I'm sure there's a lot of traditional things you learn in art school and monsters and horror, I don't presume are one of those things. So how... How have you managed to imbue all the emotion that exists? Because your models have the most amazing emotions in them. They, they're angry. You know, they look like they're about to beat you with a club. Or in the case of the night hag, she's going to, I don't know, crawl out of a swamp or something and hex you. Where, where does that come from? Is that, is that taught in school? Is that something you've had to learn? So, uh, oh, there's, there's a few things there, I suppose. One is I'm not a very good perceptual artist. So if, if I see a still life in front of me, a bowl of fruit or whatever, I'm not very good at that. I'm, I'm, I'm very yeah. conceptual stuff. Um, hmm. But it comes from, you know, I, I saw a lot of, and I've seen over the years, many minis that are sort of wonderful heroic poses for the players and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm a forever hmm. DM. And I also want minis that have cool expression and emotion and that kind of thing. And, and that sort of got me thinking that, the, the monsters should have because they're people too, sort of, right? Um, oh, you don't yeah. know. You don't know what that night hag's mortgage is like. You have no idea. It, it, you know. So, um, and, and early on, I, when, when I was when we were discussing what we were going to do with Nova Minis, um, my wife and I came up with a tagline: "Monsters with character." Um, yeah, which, which might be a little trite, but. Um, we, we thought this was oh, a, a, a great idea because the monsters and the NPCs are the characters that the DM gets to, to use more than mm. anyone else mm. and, and legitimately use rather than the, the, the deus ex machina sort of characters that some DMs like to throw in there. Uh, your, your monsters are, are your essentials. And so I think yeah. putting that character and that life into them is, is something that we really try to do. I, I my wife's says to me that she, she likes it when she can hear the sound that the mini makes when she looks at it. Um, hmm. I, I kind of just, I, like I, I work it until it makes me laugh. Um, that's what I like to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, we want to tell a story with it um, without being dictatorial. Hmm. So one of the things I'm hearing from you as we're chatting here is you're saying we a lot. Is this like a family-run business? It's, this isn't just you in front of a PC monitor. No, it's, it's, it's my like, wife is, we, 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 uh, oh, lovely. And, and, and which one of you is the ideas? Which one of you wakes up at two in the morning with a note? That would be, like that would be me. Morning. That would be me. And, uh, often my wife wakes up shortly thereafter and then tells me to go back to sleep and tell her. Do you have a pen and paper by your bed for when you, no, you I, have I a brainstorm to, at two I, in the I morning? I get up and I come yeah. to my office and do it here rather than sort of excitedly bouncing around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing it's 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 lovely to hear you talk in those terms because it's it's such a wonderful place the world of fantasy where the kind of the boundaries mm. can kind of drop away the boundaries of everyday life and the limitations mm. of like you said mortgages and <laughs> uh, bills and things like that kind of drop away and you know to, to find such joy and creativity in it is is lovely to see in your models because they are boundlessly creative 
in 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 what they are and and yeah i suppose i have like follow-up questions from that like how do you because what you're trying to do is help people as you said um with their tabletop experience and help mm. you know we've all done it yeah absolutely I, I used to play bit games workshop when i was a kid and i couldn't afford it we'd have a piece of paper instead of a model or something mm. like that because I couldn't afford the 30 quid for a, a dragon or something like that. <laughs> so how do you stay creative? Like where, you know, without getting stuck in a rut of just producing the same fantasy dwarfs or orcs or whatever, you know, cause, cause it's an infinite universe that you can create in your head. Like how do you, what inspires you to stay creative? I think it, it, it comes down to um, what I would like to see on a tabletop, what I would like my tabletop to look like, because that's, that's the only sort of real measure that I can apply. Um, I, I can't unfortunately poll um, the entire, in the entirety of the D&D world and see what tabletops should look like. But the theory yeah. uh, is that if I like it, someone else should, just on odds. And what I, what I want to do is, is to create something that's, I think a lot of people feel that minis can break the immersion of, of particularly a good role play session. You know, they're great for yeah. combat, but can they enhance a role play <laughs> session? And I, I firmly believe yeah. that they can if there is a level of individuality in those minis, mm. if there is a, a, you know, a level of detail in the terrain, like doors that can open and close because you left that door open and it's open on the tabletop and don't argue with me, I'm the DM. <laughs> to that end, an orc mini becomes more than an orc mini. He becomes an orc in, in a large group of orcs, each of which is individual yeah. and easily recognizable. As a, It makes the, 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 the life of a DM easier as well if you kind of go, okay, well, that guy with that sort of expression and that pose, he's orc number four. And, you know, those are his hit points over there. And, mm. you know, it, it sort of keeps the DM slightly honest as well, as honest as you can keep a DM. Mm. That's so I think part of that comes, <laughs> part of it comes from trying to, to create that, that immersive experience. Um, but on the whole, I mean, if you take just, just D&D 5th edition, no other game, there is a wealth of material I mean, the monster manual alone is massive. I have it behind me. There's there's a Mm. lot. No, mine's here somewhere. (laughs) But it's (laughs) it's pretty thick. Yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? It's got a lot of info in it, and and sort of, you know, every um, every new setting has got something new. Like Spelljammer, Mm. got a whole bunch of new stuff, and um, you know, the the new Morden Canaan's book has got okay a lot of rehashed things, but still, even if you take them on, on in terms of Volos and, and those books, there was a lot of content. There's a lot just in D&D, you know, um, yeah. and if you then don't make one or two of each kind of creature or, or, or race or whatever, and that's not even getting into NPCs, there's inspiration in this, mm. I think, is actually quite easy. There's a lot out there. It, it's... What can happen on a tabletop? That's that's the question you ask. That's the inspiration there. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's, it's daunting. Actually. No, it's a, it, it is daunting, and it's it's a very broad kind of hobby: miniatures and modelling. Which is why I'm going to bring Matt in. Actually, who's mm. been quietly sitting there nodding <laughs> and agreeing with all of my points. Um, very good, Matt. You're you're a model enthusiast, yeah, um, and you're someone who's carried that through. I presume most of your life. What what is it about scale models, Matt, that kind of like makes you happy? Because clearly, it's your happy place. They just look neat, <laughs> um, and I, they, it's just a very interesting way, I think, to just like I mean, for for me, so it's so it's aircraft and vehicles and things like that, and it's a it's an interesting way to learn about a subject by, in a way, a lot more than looking at pictures or reading about it and that you're looking at every individual piece of an engine or something like that but once the building's done and you've got well and then you've got the the real fun bit which is the the painting and weathering and that's the the chance to add some personality because you've just 
you've bought something off the shelf, there's a hundred thousand copies of it, but the one you make and you paint can be truly yours. And then, then you've got something that I think in the end, when it's done right, it, it, it can tell a story and it can really, um, I'm going to start making some, some 172 kind of vehicles like, um, APCs and tanks and things. So that's, that's a, that's a very small, very small, about the size of a matchbox. But you can put that on a base and you can put some sand on it and some little tufts of grass. And then you've got a scene in a, in a similar mm. way. It's, it's, it's telling a story like, like you were saying with the hag, like it's a, it's a snapshot of something that has uh, kind of a hint of a story behind it, something going on and really fun way to kind of express creativity. And I think so. I think I've always enjoyed. Yeah, I think, I think the, the one thing that you mentioned that, that I, I really enjoy is that making it your own, you know, is yeah, that yeah. individuality. I mean, uh, I, I'll paint them up in a particular way and then I'll see something that someone else does and I'm like, wow. And then you can do it. And that's, that's really, really good. I think it's that individuality that attracts people to this, uh, whether it be scale models yeah. or 3D printing uh, tabletop minis or, or even 3D printing display miniatures, which is also quite a big, a big market. It's just to, to say, I did this, I, I created this, I collaborated on this, and I've made it something that is mine and is my mm. expression. So, yeah, that's, that's I, hugely I, exciting. I think that's really interesting. Mm. One thing that really inspires me and has always inspired me, even when I was much younger, before I got into Games Workshop and stuff like that, was you used to see these dioramas, uh, these little kind of like scenes. So it would always be World War II or something like that. There'd be a bunch of soldiers and a brick wall and mm. then some other soldiers. on, And people have taken the models that you could just have on individual, you know, 28 mil bases or whatever, and they'd freeze frame them into a frozen scene of combat or or something and they'd taken all the separate models and then combined them maybe there was a tank maybe there was i don't know some foot soldiers maybe, i don't know could be anything but when people take the sculpt of the model and then bring it together with other elements and bits of scenery and they they freeze frame like a little moment mm. in a battle or a conflict or something i find that fascinating and Walt, from your point of view, have you seen? Because I guess people send you pictures of what they've done with their with their models yes. that you've printed. Yeah. yeah, they do. I love seeing what people do. I mean, it, it's just mm. it, it, it's great to see how they enjoy it and and how they express themselves. We had a we've got one particular model which is the uh, ogre jailer. Um, it's an ogre holding a one person cage. Yeah, this one particular guy took it and built it into a diorama. With, with a whole like sort of story that it told that mm. I never even thought of. And I think that's, that's what I really enjoy is, is seeing people express it in, in a different way and taking it in directions that, that are, are, are much freer. I, I think when, when I sculpt something, I have, a, I have a, a certain impression of what it's going to be and how it's going to end up and what the final product will look like. And it's going to be painted in this color and, and then, Sort of moving away from that, I think seeing people doing uh, very different things is, is extremely gratifying. Yeah, it, it, it must be, I suppose, because oftentimes art doesn't just end when you, you know, take the brush off the canvas or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's how it makes other people feel and what they mm -hmm. do with those emotions and feelings, I think, which is, which is so important. At this point, I think it would be interesting, and hopefully for the listeners, they'll find this interesting. I have no clue what the process is from making a model. So, so what would you would you mind telling us a little bit or sharing with us? What's the process like? Where does it go? Like, okay, take um, the the ogre J. Right. Was it that you're talking yes. about? Do you have an idea, and you wake up at two a.m. and you get your notepad, and you're like, "Oh my word, I've got an idea." <laughs> and what? Where do you go from there? Do you do you sketch on paper? You know, from idea to file ready, what, what's okay. the maybe you could unpack that process for us a little bit. Okay, I'll try. Um, <laughs> it, I, I, like, I, like to, I like to claim that it is organic. Um, it's not always. Um, so we run a few themes that sort of uh, give us sort of a broad uh, inspirational base for me to uh, sculpt from. Like we'll do, um, for example, we've got one called the Iron Path, which is all about uh, an orc army. 
for example. Um, so what I'll do is I will decide on, okay, we need to look at this theme or we need to look at that theme. This will be put on a tabletop. Let's perhaps do a band of monster mercenaries, for example. And then I'll go, I'll conceptualize what would work in there. So, you know, we'd need some heavy troops. We'd need some scout kind of troops. We'd need. Yeah. So what, what I try and do with each um, release, with each pack, as, as we call them, is to have the potential for, if not a full story, at least a, a, a sensible encounter within that pack. Mm. For example, when we did our gnolls, um, we threw in some mm. tents. We threw in like a bit of a totemy shrine thing. Yeah. And then some archers and a, and a, a pack leader, et cetera, et cetera. So that it could be used as an encounter. Oh, yeah. From that point, um, you know, we, we sort of look at the size of the pack is going to be in terms of how many pieces and how those pieces are going to be divided between minis, terrain, and uh, scatter. And then what, which of those, what would be sensible for those things? For example, um, when we do a graveyard, uh, we throw in some headstones and maybe a mausoleum because yeah. sensibly telling a story. And then we divide up what's left into the, into the minis. And I, I mix what I do. I, I don't sketch everything. Um, I sketch, yeah. so I, I sketch in, in quite broad strokes in, in terms of posing mm. and that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I start sculpting, but quite often the, the, what the original sketch was organically changes as I'm sculpting because I go, well, this guy wouldn't be doing that. He'd be, mm. would be different. He'd be a more in this kind of pose because he's moving in a different direction from what I first thought, or he's feeling something different from what I envisioned. So I think as I'm sculpting, it sort of flows fairly organically into the final product. How long it takes, you know, not all minis are the same. I, I, a yeah. large dragon could take quite some time to sculpt, but then so could mm. the you yeah. know, if, if you, even the most, uh, the smallest of miniatures that have their different kind of challenges because you, mm. you're now considering, is that going to print? Because you have a certain amount of resolution, a certain resolution coming off your printer. Is that going to look decent when it's uh, half an inch tall? Um, yeah. So it, it really depends on the miniature and, and, and yeah. a number of other factors as to how long it takes. That's interesting. A, I'm, I'm coming at this completely naively. Sorry, Matt, did you have a... It, yeah, it's just um, that that's an interesting question about... I, I'm not... I'm interested in 3D printing, but I don't have a 3D printer. But are there restrictions or kind of compromises you have to make for the the medium um, in terms of things like resolution, I suppose? Or yes, um, okay. A proviso to that is this: this is one of the fields of technology that is is um, expanding very quickly or, or, or evolving very quickly. Mm. So we've gone from. Uh, RGB-based screens to mono 8K resolution screens, which are like much, much better. Even resin, the, the, the actual liquid that you use with these printers has come a long way in detail. And but when something is really tiny and you putting an extremely tiny thing on that already tiny, it's, it's mm. just not, it's not a viable, even if, I want people to print the minis and paint them. I don't want them to swear at me because they can't get a brush small enough to paint the detail that I've sculpted onto it. Um, yeah. There, there are, there is well, a sort of this is an interesting point. Mm. As not to compare you, you know, unfavorably or in any way to Games Workshop, who's a completely different company to you, but and name anyone who's interested in minis and fancy minis, it's impossible to get away from Games Workshop mm. as they've, I'm not, I'd be careful using the word monopolize for legal reasons because I don't <laughs> want GW coming after me. But uh, okay. they, they, they're they different though because they, I believe, are injection molded resin yes. rather than uh, 3D printed. So they, they have their own limitations. But I agree with you, Walt. As someone who has painted many, 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 many Games Workshop things, when it comes to rank and file armies, I have sworn so many <laughs> times due to the level of detail the things I've had to paint because I'm a perfectionist, because I can't leave bits of it unpainted or badly painted. Yes. And I think this model is going to be dead if it rolls a one on a D. <laughs> it's going to be wiped off the table anyway. But it so. looked good dying. 
They look <laughs> great dying. But, you know, your generals, your heroes, your monsters, yes, you want them to look great. Your rank and file, you know, the, the, if you've got 100 archers, well, maybe you can't. I mean, affording 100 archers at Games Workshop might be a problem, <laughs> but we'll get into that, maybe. Um, that's an interesting point. What, do, do people want the level of detail, the insane level of detail? And then, as Matt said, you know, with the technology, because... If you buy a model, I've seen D&D do their own branded kind of plastic mm. resin models that you can buy in most fantasy stores. That's a, that's a quality that's assured by the shop, by the producer, because they're just selling you a product and it'll always be to the same quality. Is there a disparity for the end user, depending on how good their 3D printing, their 3D printer is? I guess what I'm asking is, can you, in what you do, is there any way of you offering more value added to someone with a more expensive 3D printer or does everyone roughly get the same output? There, yeah, I, I don't know. I probably get a lot of comments going, I don't know what I'm talking about on this answer. I, <laughs> to be honest with you, I think that the difference between one resin generation to the next resin generation specifically is it's there but it's not that huge yeah. if you take sort of an old rgb printer and you compare it to an 8k printer you probably see a difference if you've got a really good magnifying glass <laughs> and great light. wow um where the difference has come in is in speed of printing oh. um yeah because it's, it's a lot quicker the longevity of your your uh, consumable parts like your screen um that kind of thing is is far more of an impact, I would think, than than the sort of um, actual detail on the mini. It is increased the detail, but the guy who, who claims to see it with a naked eye, I'm, I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you, there's perhaps better anti-aliasing and that kind mm. of stuff. So the um, so the, the the print comes out a little smoother. There's less layer lining and all that kind yeah. of thing. But it also comes down to the guy who's using the printer and how much time they're willing to put into getting those settings just right, mm. particularly on the other kind of printers, which are FDM printers, which use uh, filament. They, they take a lot of tweaking and setting and that kind of thing. And if you know what you're doing, you can get astounding results out of virtually any printer, I, I believe. Let's put that so this it. sparks an interesting conversation. Feel free to chime in on this, Matt. I know nothing about 3D printing. Let's say Christmas is coming up. It's my 40th next month and somebody wants, and I'm interested in getting into 3D printing. What's a good gateway to, I'm looking at it, is it daunting? Do I need to spend hundreds of pounds to, to print your products, Walt? Or is there, is there like, what if I'm dipping my toe into the world of 3D printing and I don't want a, my spare room to be full of hardware, <laughs> what, 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 am I, what am I doing? If, you, if you're going to get into the world of 3D printing and the bug bites, your spare room will be full of hardware. It's one of the, it, it, it's gray plastic crack. Um, really is. The, the name it of the episode. It depends on what you want to do. Yeah, there you go. Gray plastic crack. Uh, it depends what you want to do. If you want to print terrain yeah. largely, then you go for a filament printer. They print larger and yeah. arguably they're a bit cheaper. Their resolution, though, is is uh, their layer resolution is not as fine as that of a resin printer. So, if you're printing minis and, and smaller scatter items, you go for resin. In an ideal world, you get both because they both have their they both have their place. You use the FDM for the larger pieces that don't require that finer resolution, and then you use your resin for things that do require finer minis and small scatter. Um, some of the, the, the minis that have moving parts and that come up really well in rest, basically. Um, Cost-wise, once again, it, there's a very wide range of costs. You could you could pick up a, a resin printer for 150 US dollars, hmm. probably less. I, I, I don't follow the market too closely. There's constantly sales on things like Amazon. Yeah. Uh, a bottle of resin is about 20 to 30 dollars. You can print quite a lot out of resin if you have a good run. If you have a bad run, not as much. I think the, the, the important thing to note is that there's very few plug-and-play solutions in, in the plug-and-play sense. 
where you, you're always going to need some kind of tweaking, yeah. mm. um, even if it's minimal. And prints can fail. And, and quite often, do even people who are extremely experienced with printing can have prints fail because there's so many variables that come into the printing process um, that it's, it's sort of impossible to predict. However, if, if you get the experience in and you um, get your, your settings uh, set up nicely, you tweak your machine correctly, you shouldn't have too many factors. Hmm. That's interesting. Basically. <laughs> that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it was an interesting. This sort of takes me back to an actual personal story of myself, and I think you'd, you'd sort of shared something a bit similar with you growing up. Some of my earliest memories, I got into modelling. Um, I'm not a catwalk model, listeners. <laughs> modelling as in miniatures. Uh, at a young age, I was not a child model um, <laughs> because I was walking around school, must have been aged about eight, and I stood on something and I screamed because it had gone through the bottom of my shoe. And it turns out I'd stood on a small lead dwarf uh, that someone had left lying around on the floor at school and the, the, the tip of an axe had gone through the bottom of my shoe. And so lead models, lead miniatures were kind of like my gateway into this world. Um, and I, I don't think the market really uses lead much anymore, probably uh, for many reasons, environmental, health and cost and Lord knows what. But then we, we tried making our own models as kids. And my mum, if anyone's familiar with the world of Games Workshop, there's a, a type of monster called a squig, which is like a very toothy dog. So we tried making one. I can't even remember what we did, but we basically chiseled out two <laughs> halves of a mold on both sides. And then we got some uh, molten metal and we tried to pour it in. Long story short, it was abysmal. Like, it was lovely. The process, the journey was great, but it, it certainly wasn't going to make it onto my, onto my tabletop. I think, you know, the joy of creating something like that sticks with you for, for most of your life. Like, you know, when, when you've been on that kind of journey of creating models and things, as Matt was talking about, the joy of taking something on a plastic sprue, like an Airfix kit, and then making it your own mm. over the course of many hours of, you know, creation and modeling and weathering and and all sorts and you were telling us a really interesting story well about your your dad used to to mold bullets so there was kind of like uh yeah from a young age there's kind of this he, he was a he was a competitive uh, shooter and uh, he, he did some instruction as well so yes that that was his um his hobby i suppose and um so there was always lead around for me to try <laughs> to try make minis, but um, it, 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 my my attempts were not fruitful, <laughs> shall we say? <laughs> they 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 left a lot to be desired, and um, I think my mom eventually had enough of the smell of burning rubber <laughs> because I routinely overheat the lead. You know, there's a, there's a good temperature for lead and there's a bad temperature for lead, and I went straight for bad every time. Oh, really? And uh, so, yeah, it, it didn't last very long because I destroyed my molds pretty soon. I, I, I wasn't, I was quite young. And I, how young are we talking about here? Because I love the idea of like a small Walt with like a thousand degree lead. Like, are we talking like six um, or seven or are we talking 14? No, not, no, not quite that young. About, uh, 12. Wow. I have a 12-year-old and I cannot imagine him running around with molten lead. I mean, I get I get scared when he pick runs around with scissors. I, I don't know. Like, they, they they kind of say weird things about us. I'm I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer. Um they kind of, you know, the, the, the urban legend does seem to be that Gen Xers were raised by wolves. <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of fits. It sort of fits. But but what what a what a start! Like I love the idea. Like for most people these days, and I'm not saying that everyone in these days is lazy. I'm just saying that it's quite easy to go from concept to 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 you know create stuff. And I'd like to dig in in a minute about the process of this. But I think in in those days people were a lot more like have a go hero. Like I can't imagine anyone in this day and age thinking. I've got some lead. I'm going to melt it down, <laughs> even if I'd seen my parents do something and, and have a go. Like, it, mostly because, you know, my dad would be asking where his bullets had gone. Imagine <laughs> your dad went to a professional, like, shoot and, you know, got there and looked down and he no longer had bullet heads. He had, like, a dwarf and organ elf. <laughs> well, no, I, I didn't. I, I wasn't quite that bad. But, yeah, I, I don't think it would have gone down well. I, I think I did ask permission, probably. Oh, um, always ask yeah, permission, kids, before you melt down lead. I was a, I was a good kid 
that was one of the fact, you know, my, my shoes were always polished and <laughs> my tie was always done up at school and stuff. You know, I, I, I was a, I was a nerdy kid. Um, yeah, I think that brings... Which is why I played Yeah, D&D. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In those days, it wasn't cool to play D&D. No. You were either a nerd or a Satanist. <laughs> the Satanic Panic. Yes. Oh, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't think modern, if anyone, well, people under the age of, I don't know, 16, 17, shouldn't really normally listen to our content as it's pure <laughs> filth. But anyone who, who is um, that young probably doesn't appreciate the seismic change in D&D and its perception over the last 20 or 30 like years. Absolutely incredible. Um, Absolutely incredible. It's so mainstream and, and- now. It's so gratifying. I but mean, uh, it, it, yes, there was a, there were a lot of hang-ups. <laughs> um, back, yeah, back in the day, um, you, you sort of D and D was done sort of almost in secret. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it was difficult to get to get it in South Africa. I found out about D and D from from a friend. We were living out uh, in the country, and uh, in the area we were living, there were a lot of contractors from from all over the world, and I had a friend. Uh, I think I was about 10 years old at the time, from America. And his, I went to visit them one day, and his brother was making, his elder brother was making notes and rolling these strangely shaped dice. <laughs> oh, what's that? And I'd read a, I'd read a, a few uh, choose-your-own-adventure books yeah. that, that were around it. So the white, white ones that were around it. Not a fighting 80s. fantasy, Ian Livingstone. Mm. Those came a bit later. Uh, that was around 80, 82, 83. I think I got into those and then slowly got into D&D. And then uh, my sister was, uh, she, she moved to the States and she came, came for, for uh, a holiday and I asked her to bring me D&D. Amazing. Oh, so she brought me the red box. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And you're every, pure, you're every original. Time I was, I, Oh yeah, I'm a <laughs> And every time she came to visit over the next few years, I got the next set. Yeah. Um, and then in high school, I started discovering that there were other people that played D and D who I weren't people that I had, you know, mugged in alleyways and dragged them to into the <laughs> den to teach D and D to. Um, my first job was actually in a in a small uh, specialist store. Um, we we've never sort of had official stores in, in those days. We've never really had any games workshop stores or anything else. So we've always been independent. And uh, you know, my weekend job was working in a store where they sold D&D. It was a small store and most of the time I was running D&D rather than selling it and whatever I earned I spent on hmm. said D&D. A vicious cycle. It <laughs> So, Walt, you have managed to turn your passion into a job, which must make you one of the luckiest people on the planet. Hmm. Yes. And, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm very blessed that I can do this. And I'm equally blessed that you know, um, my wife, who I met at art school when I was 16 years old, and it took me 20 years to actually admit anything to her um it's lovely (laughs) she has given me the most amazing support in this as well yeah and you know um sharing in in sort of the vision of it and and doing the most amazing marketing stuff for us um so you know it's really great that i can work with her on this at something that that i really really love it's uh it's i count my blessings i count my blessings such a blessing isn't it I mean, to be fair, neither Matt nor myself do this professionally. We're just doing this for fun. Both of us work in IT, and uh, this is more of a hobby for us. Now, what, what you've just said there really resonates to us. I never realized when I set out on this nonsensical fantasy journey that there was going to be a wonderful community behind it. Mm. And the, the, the further we got and the more I dug into it and the more content I released, I discovered that there's this wonderful global community of people the mere fact i'm talking to you while in south africa currently i'm not going to lie i don't think i've ever actually called anyone in south africa let alone had a conversation (laughs) i have a friend ed who probably doesn't listen to this podcast who is from south africa originally but now lives in the uk but how wonderful is it this community who supports us and in your case i know you have a patron following of subscribers 
yes. who can who can access your content and and so on. Like, what does the community mean to you? Well, wow, um, it's such a vast and complex sort of ecosystem. I, I think that the, the place where I really found that uh, level of, of community, if you, if you want to use it as a as an adjective, is uh, on Twitter, and uh, you know the, the, the absolute support and yeah. and openness that the, the TTRPG community on Twitter displays is is really incredible. That said, the most amazing thing happens almost daily on on Facebook is someone will post up a picture of a mini and uh, that they've painted and they, they may be a complete newbie and you know the, the paint job may be a, a, a little in need of skills development. <laughs> And the community will come out and say, great job. Mm. What about trying this? Here's a technique that might work for you. This is a fantastic approach that mm. you could try for your next minute. I cannot believe on Facebook, which has got this reputation mm. for toxicity, mm. that this community is so accepting of everyone. Yeah. It's, it's, I think the, 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 the TTRPG community is, bound together in, in this, this love for something yeah. that transcends it. You cannot explain D&D to someone. Mm. You, you really can't. And, and the, the reward that you receive from it, the, the reward that you get from a great game session, you just simply cannot explain to someone that feeling. Yeah. You know, which is, which is why we're so passionate about it. And until you... Try it, and until you, you allow yourself to, you give yourself to, you, you can't really understand it. I don't think. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's just that the community is is absolutely fantastic. The response is absolutely fantastic. And as, as in any community, you do there, there is negativity from time to time. Yeah. But comparatively, mm. we would agree. Like obviously, we we put out content which you know freely and. Um, you know, we, we we do get feedback off people, and, and by and large, it's always mm. positive and constructive. I think we've had one bad piece of feedback in <laughs> a year and change. I don't know how long. Someone on Reddit once described us as low hanging fruit of the worst kind, <laughs> which I think um, you've taken as a badge of honor. Now. <laughs> which I took as a badge of honor. I was like, can I can I use that as an air quote? <laughs> on, uh, you're never going to keep all the people happy all of the time. I, I, I don't, but. Reddit, Reddit is a Reddit is a, is a tough crowd. <laughs> Reddit's a very, very tough crowd. But it's the Reddit culture. Well, I tell you what, seeing your miniatures week in, week out, we, we do the um, self-promo Saturday meat market mm. that it is of, you know, everyone bringing their wares <laughs> to the table on Twitter and, and it often becomes people just dumping links all over the place and not really engaging with the community. But seeing your models turn up week in, week out is always a high point for me because I look forward to seeing what weird and wonderful monsters and NPCs that you've created. Uh, your work really does stand like head and shoulders above uh, a lot of the other stuff. And, and you know, not only because it's quite rare to see people, I feel, I'm sure you see it all the time because you're part of that community, but I don't see too many people in the kind of 3D modeling arena on twitter who are who are you know offering um people the chance to to kind of print off their own 3d stuff i'm sure you're aware of all sorts of people on like mini factory and stuff like that but but certainly you you stand out like head and shoulders on on twitter in terms of the ttrpg community and i've wanted to interview for ages but due to an admin error i didn't manage to actually sort it out for quite a long time <laughs> i asked walt to be on this podcast probably six months or more ago and then didn't talk to him again <laughs> until two weeks ago <laughs> due, to, due to life admin. But uh, Matt, before, <laughs> Matt, before I come in to, to land with a, with a, with a few questions, uh, is there anything you, you, any burning questions you have? Curiosity? I was quite interested going back to your style and kind of sculpting. And I assume that's, that's clay and physical materials. Mm -hmm. Was the move to a digital sculpting was that a big change, or did you find a lot of a lot of things transferred quite easily just to a to a mouse? Or I, I think that's a good question. I got lucky. 
Um, yeah, very good question, actually. I, I got lucky. There's, there's, there's a lot of modeling software out there. And I, I don't know, kind of on a whim went, oh, I'm going to try this one, mm-hmm. um, which is ZBrush. Is, oh, yes. I always want to call it Z, ZBrush, <laughs> but I feel wrong. If I, if I do, so we'll call it ZBrush. And um, I, I sort of, they have a, a, a sort of a, a stripped down free free version of it, what well, they did when, when I started that. And I tried it, and I, I, it felt so much like working with clay yeah. in a digital format that it was comfortable. Yeah. And there was a lot to learn. I'm, I'm, I'm still learning a lot um, every day, um, tips and tricks and new techniques and new ways to go about them. But for want of a better term, the material that you're working with in ZBrush feels like clay. Mm. And so that was, that was, that was a really nice uh, way to get. And I've looked at some other software, I, uh, for example, for hard modeling or hard surfaces, I use a lot of Blender. And I just find the sort of precision of it because uh, the ZBrush is quite organic. Yeah. Um, where Blender, you can really dig into the, you know, point. 0.015 millimeter oh. placements, and um, which I, when I do uh, terrain and stuff, I tend to be quite specific on my measurements. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, those are those are the main two, and I think ZBrush was, or ZBrush was the the one that that really, if I hadn't found it, I don't know that I would have gone down this path. Hmm. That's that. really interesting. Yeah, and that leads me into one of the sort of final questions before we let you go, because I'm sure you have. Many things to do uh, with your weekend other than talking to us. <laughs> there are people out there right now who've seen your work and are listening to us chat and are thinking, how on earth do I get into this? What, what's a good starting point for somebody of any age, you know, young, 16, or, you know, even like who's just retired? What, what's a good bit of software or, you know, I'm assuming you don't, I'm sure like many things, you can spend a lot of money and get great tools or what's, what's a good entry? Yes into the world of 3D sculpting? In the world of 3D on the whole, uh, the great entry point is uh, Blender. It's freeware, or I think it's freeware. I think so. It's available for free. Um, It's making its way into some uh, prominent places. For example, I don't know if you you watched uh, Amazon Prime, a series called The Man in the High Castle. Hmm. All the CG was done in Blender for that. So oh. that, that sort of shows the power of it. Yeah. But it's great, for, it's great for modeling. It's great for sculpting. It's great for animation. It's even great for uh, some video game work. And Blender is an mm. is a, is a all-purpose tool that's an excellent gateway into, into okay. 3D. And then it's just a matter of constantly learning and constantly developing mm. uh, skills because... There's so much that you can do that you just want to keep learning. You keep want, you want to keep growing and mm. evolving and trying new things and trying new techniques. That's really interesting. One of the things I found really helpful when I was learning to paint, because I'm an avid model painter, mm. is if I wanted to learn something, I would take, I would imitate. I would take exactly the same model and I'd find an expert who'd painted it and won a competition mm. and I would try and recreate what they'd done and then i'd see how close to it i could get um and hopefully there's people out there now who can pick up a copy of blender have a look at one of your models and and have a go and see where you know recreate um recreate the night hag with the terrifying (laughs) hand and i think also that the the wonderful thing is i'm going to sound like an old guy now but the wonderful thing is with this newfangled internet (laughs) um (laughs) YouTube and, and similar, similar platforms are crammed with people doing tutorials, how-tos, all that kind of, 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 of a wide variety of things. And 3D modeling is no different. There's, I, I learn a lot from watching uh, YouTube. And then you can go to platforms like Udemy or Domestica. Uh, if you're willing to, to shell out for a course, there are some fantastic yeah. courses which can, yeah. which can help you along. I've, I've, done a few of, of those two to sort of hone skills and then these programs are complex there's a lot to learn you, you're constantly going to be developing them. so education is always the best the, the best way to go about that yeah wow well thank you very much well, that's really interesting i'm kind of inspired now to yeah. uh, become a have a go hero with 3d modeling I, I've, never I've, know matt 
you might well i've got some clay be... i bought like years ago it's just been sat in a, in a <laughs> box and i'm suddenly thinking i might take that out and start seeing seeing what i can do with it so yeah it's inspired me <laughs> yeah good i think being able to create something that that, that has a physical end result is just mm. it's very gratifying it it's is isn't it? that is lovely Right, Walt. Before we let you go, tell the listeners what what can what's the future mm. for Nova Minis. You don't you don't have to and no spoilers if you don't want to. Because <laughs> I know you have patrons and whatnot. But um, what 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 should people be looking out for in the future for for Nova Minis? Well, we have our uh, second birthday coming up on uh, on the first of November, so we're going to be to be making a, a few announcements there which ah. i don't want to elaborate too much on right now <laughs> um we also on uh, the the uh, frontiers funding platform on my mini factory we have a a new campaign going live on the 26th of this month notification signups are open already which can get you a bit of a discount on the pledge uh, it's called undead unrest which might give you a clue um mm. It's uh, 55, 55 minis, or 55 pieces, Oof. should I say, minis, terrain, and props um, across ghouls, mm. skeletons, and zombies. So that's going live towards the end of the month. And then, um, yeah, we've got our, uh, you know, every month we release a, a new pack for our subscribers of 15 plus minis, which uh, subscriptions are available through Patreon or Tribes on my mini factory. And I think that's about it uh, where we're going in future it's just more minis more more minis more minis more minis more minis more minis, more minis. amazing we, that could be the name of the episode <laughs> well this has been an absolute pleasure it's been an it's been a real treat um thank you like i see your work and i'm sure matt does yeah. and it never ceases to make me smile with the creativity uh and and just you, you know with the talent alone and i've wanted to chat to you for a while because I love the niche that you found for yourself that makes you stand apart from many of the other big corporate model mini companies that exist that I'm sure we can all name. Uh, I think you've really found your own niche. But won't. <laughs> but won't. Well, they don't, they don't need airtime, do they? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you found your own niche. It's lovely to see. We all find it really, really inspiring. And I mm-hmm. wanted to chat to you for a while. And I really hope... You know, this has been interesting for our listeners to give them a bit of a glimpse into uh, the world of fantasy miniatures, because I think they accompany um, the, 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 you know, the imagination brilliantly. Like uh, there's, there's a world where D&D can be fully in your mind, but I think you can also beautifully accompany it with miniatures. And you made a really interesting point, actually, Walt, while we were chatting before we started recording, which is we now live in a world where... We're hopefully, fingers crossed, coming out the other side of COVID. And there was a time where we all seemed to play D&D over Zoom and, and, and you know, Skype and Lord knows what. And I welcome any opportunity to get some actual physical miniatures out, get around mm. a table and have a good old dungeon crawl. So you know, I think, uh, you know, for, 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 for me, that's, that's sort of where it belongs in a way. And, you mm. know, that's what I grew up with. And, and it's really nice that we can, it's really great that we can get back to the table now. Mm. And, exactly. uh, you know, roll some dice in anger. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling dice in anger. Yeah, I think there is something to be said for rolling dice in person because you all lean in to see whether it's going to be a D20 or a D1 or whatever. And I feel there's digital dice on D&D Beyond now, but I, I always roll my physical dice because it's just, even though we're doing it over remotely over Squadcast, I still like the physicality of the dice. Absolutely. There's something about it that just feels good. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Because your dice become, they have personalities and they become like, they betray you. <laughs> Good and bad, yeah. Yes. Dice <laughs> they, you. they do, and no one wants to be betrayed by a soulless robot. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, well, we're going we're gonna to leave you. Thank you so much Thank for taking much. time out of your day. I'm sure you're busy and you have other things to be doing with the weekend, but... So big thank you from me and Matt and a massive thank you from our listeners for giving us a glimpse into the world thank of you. Nova Minis. And uh, please, listeners, go and, go and track down Nova Minis. They're not hard to find. They are all over the socials. Go and give them some love. Go and support Walt. And uh, most of all, keep sending him pictures of your painted models because, you know, that's where it's at. Mm. For sure. Well, thank you very much, Walt. We will catch up with you thank soon. You. And we will see you, hopefully, out there on the socials. Great great chatting to you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you.
that's all we have for you this week. You know, I found that a really interesting conversation. There is something fascinating about bringing an imaginary world to life in small scale and having that chance to really let your creativity kind of flourish. As mentioned, you can find Nova Minis online on Facebook and Twitter or go to linktree forward slash Nova Minis. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash Nova Minis. As for us, well, you've been listening to the Adventures Anonymous podcast and you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. If you liked what you heard, subscribe in your podcast platform of choice. And if you really liked it, leave us a big old five-star review. I promise you we love reading every review, even the bad ones. So goodbye from me, AJ, and Walt. Happy adventuring and stay tipsy.